Well, thanks for being here today. Hope you're having a great day. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're here for the first time, I would love to meet you after the service. If you could come down front and introduce yourself, that would be great. We're in our summer series. We have a few weeks left to go. It's called Summer Playlist. And we're looking at a particular book in the Old Testament, Psalms, that was written about 900 or so years before the time of Christ. And the book of Psalms is essentially an ancient playlist because all of the words you read in there would have originally been set to music. And there are songs written that are about our relationship with God. There's songs of sorrow written. There's songs of celebration. There are songs of confusion and songs of repentance and songs of anger. Pretty much like are probably on your playlist. When I look at my playlist, my daughters laugh when they look at my playlist because I've got my, my running playlist and uh, there's some songs that I got from them on there and they laugh when they see uh, Justin Bieber or somebody like that on my playlist. They think that's really funny, uh, but it just kind of motivates me and sometimes makes me angry, but it still uh, helps me out. And I've got the playlist when I just want to chill that's a little more jazzy that I just listen to. I've got the playlist that's, uh, when I'm a little sad, it's got some country music on it that I like to listen to. I've, I've got one called My Country Faves, which there's like four. And I listen to those. And so all songs, even ancient songs, they were written as a response to something. Somebody breaks your heart, you're a songwriter, you write a song about it. You're in love with somebody, you're a songwriter, you write a song about it. You're happy, you're a songwriter, you write a song about it. And so we've been looking at these ancient songs doing two things. Looking at the ancient meaning of the particular psalm that we're looking at and seeing what it meant originally to the people who would have been part of the original hearers. And then we're looking at, well, how can we make modern application out of this ancient meaning of this almost 3,000-year-old writing. So ancient meaning, modern application. So the Psalms were written by many different people. The person that's attributed uh, to writing most of the Psalms is a guy named David. Uh, you, if you grew up in church, you may have heard of David and Goliath or David and Bathsheba or King David. That's all the same guy. Uh, he wrote many of the Psalms, but there are also many other writers. The Psalm we're going to look at today was written by King David. And so there's some Bibles coming in the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. You can keep it or you can borrow it. And you can also read along on the screen as I read from this particular psalm. So has anybody decided they're not going to watch the news anymore? Anybody? All right. Yeah, I'm with you. Because when I watch the news, I get angry because I see a world that's in chaos of division, of hatred, of lies, of just unbelievable circumstances. When I look at it, I'm thinking, I, I can't bear this anymore. And most of it isn't even true, or all of it is biased in some way or another. So I just started reading all my news on the internet, you know, to get the truth, get the <laughs> bottom of things. You can't even do that. Because it all comes with some kind of bias. But one thing we can agree on, no matter which side we're on or what way we're biased, is the world is in chaos. And it seems to be getting more and more chaotic. Maybe you came here today 
and your world is in chaos. Your family's in chaos. Something's going on in your life and you're dealing with chaos. If we had a pill that we could make and say, take this and the chaos will be more bearable in your life, we would do well. Because a lot of people's lives, our world is in chaos. If there was a way to deal with the chaos in a healthy way, in a way that helps us have peace in the middle of it, would you want to know? Of course, we all would. Because when we look out and see the chaos in our world, we have to think, everybody has to be thinking, how's this going to end? How are we going to deal with this chaos? Today's psalm, although it's thousands of years old, was written by King David, and he looked out at the world, and he saw chaos. He saw kings fighting against each other. He saw a world that was divided by hate, and he started to write about it. And all of it's recorded in Psalm 2. And he starts out by saying this, why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now, what that would have meant in ancient times was David would have been talking to the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel then would have been God's chosen people who he rescued from slavery in Egypt and brought them to this promised land, which is today what we would call the Middle East. And he brought them to this promised land, and they lived in what was then pretty much the center of the known world, that to really get anywhere in that area, you had to go through it. And so David is writing from the perspective of, here's this little nation of Israel, and all of these kings around, and they don't like Israel. They want to defeat Israel. They want to cause chaos in Israel. Not a lot different from what the country of Israel has to deal with today with the surrounding nations. They had to deal with people who didn't share their morals. They had to deal with people who hated them, who did not want to do anything but defeat this little nation of Israel. And what's happening then is that people were, with power were plotting against God's anointed or God's chosen people. And those people, those kings, those kingdoms were saying this. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. So the people with power in the surrounding nations did not want the moral restraint that came with the nation of Israel. They didn't want it. They wanted the power, but they wanted no moral restraint. When people in power don't want to be restrained by morals, it's a scary thing. When people with power and influence don't have a moral guide or a moral compass and they don't have a moral restraint, you can get anywhere you want to get. You can believe anything or do any act you want to do. When you start to say, I don't want the moral restraint that comes with this faith. That is what the nations around Israel were saying. We don't want your moral restraint. 
We don't want what feels like change to us because we want to do what we want to do and we don't want anybody telling us. Parents, you want to give your kids morals that will help them navigate life. Imagine parents and there are parents like that that have no moral restraint and do not teach their kids that there are moral guidelines and there is a moral compass that we all must have if we are going to live at peace. Imagine when that's not, when that's not taught what kids turn out to be and what they're like. When our girls were little and they would come home from school, especially elementary school, and say, hey, this person asked me, this girl asked me to come over for a sleepover and, and, and can I go? If I did not know the parents, you know what the answer always was? No. Well, why not? Well, I don't know what their morals are. I don't know what their rules are. I got to meet them. And they knew, it didn't take long, they just stopped asking if they knew, well, I can't go, my dad doesn't know your mom or your dad, it's not going to work. They may have been great people, but until I knew I could be a responsible parent and not just let my child into a situation that they aren't old enough to figure out what's going on, I just said no. And I would meet parents and I would say, here are our rules. We had this rule when our kids were growing up. You don't watch a PG-13 movie till you're 13 because I figured, well, if, if Hollywood says a 13-year-old and down should, or under 13 shouldn't watch it, I figure I should at least line up with that. And so I, I had this rule. I just said, y'all watch PG-13 movies. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, they can't come. I'm, you know, it's great, that's your rule, that's fine. But my rule is, uh, if it says PG-13, you're going to be 13 before you get to see it. And so when our girls turned 13, they had this list, like, <laughs> we're going to, like, movie marathon. We're going to watch this stuff. And then when they were old enough to see something R-rated, they were like, we're going to watch all the bad movies we can watch because Hollywood says that we're old enough. When people with power don't have moral restraint, chaos ensues. You girls that are single, you go out with a guy. Most of the time, he's going to be bigger and stronger than you. What happens if he does not have moral restraint? You don't want to be alone with him. You don't, want to, you don't want to get in an apartment or somewhere where nobody's around because chaos could ensue if he doesn't have moral restraint. And David is looking out at these nations around him and he's saying they want to get rid of moral restraint. They're saying we don't want the moral restraint that comes with God. And it scared people. It caused chaos. And for many of you, you look out at the world, you look at the news, you read your news feed, and it looks like there's chaos because there is chaos. And no matter what political side you are on, you see the other side is an idiot. And you know, they're the problem. You're whatever side you're on, it's the other person's fault. And if they win, oh my gosh, there's going to be even more chaos because it's the other side that wants to throw off morals, not the side I'm on. And that's what's causing a lot of the chaos. So just be honest. Who's, who's a little scared? <laughs> I am. I'm a little worried. Like uh, what the world going to look like for my kids? Because no matter what results end up being, chaos is going to come behind it. No matter what. Now the good part about that is it can teach us not to put our trust 
in man and put our trust somewhere else. People ask me, hey, what do you think about politics? What do you think of this person, that person? Unless you're a really close friend, I don't say. Because my job as a pastor, anybody's job as a pastor, is to lead you towards Jesus. That's our jobs as pastors. And any that leads anywhere else or says, you should choose this or that, is not really doing their job well as a pastor. Because the person I want to lead you towards, which can bring calm in all the chaos, is Jesus. I've got my opinions, and if you're close enough, friend, I'll tell you. Anybody else? I'm just going to talk about Jesus and what he can do. So here's what I got to understand. If I look out at the world today, and I'm scared, and you have reason to be, what scares me does not scare God. God wasn't, when David said, hey, all these people are going to throw off moral restraint, God wasn't thinking, oh, what am I going to do? He didn't gather all the angels together and say, guys, we got to do something. Like, they're they're not going to listen to us anymore. I'm worried. I'm afraid. He never gets scared of what's going on in the world. And when he sees people saying, I'm going to throw off your moral restraint. I'm just going to throw it off. I'm going to live however I want to live, do whatever I want to do. I'm just going to get rid of it. That's what they were doing. And here's what happens. The very next verse. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Basically, it's saying God's not threatened by the things that worry you. God doesn't feel like he's in competition with those who cause chaos. Because he knows he can win. He doesn't laugh at people like making fun of, but he's like, oh, you think, you think I'm worried? You think I'm wondering which way this thing's going to go? You think I'm wondering how it's all going to end? I'm not. David even said, God laughs at that. We disciplined our kids when they were growing up, uh, like corporal punishment. I mean, not that bad, but we, you know, we spanked them on the bottom when they needed it, which wasn't very often. But when they got to be about nine or 10 years old, we said, okay, you're too old for that. Uh, Punishment will come in a different form now. It won't be with the dreaded wooden spoon that we still have. It won't be with, you know, my hand against your backside. It won't be that anymore. It'll be another way. But when they were small and and my youngest, who many of you know, uh, she had this thing that would make me laugh every time when it came time for her to be punished. I would say, Abby, Why'd you do that? You're in trouble. Come here. You're going to get a spanking. And every time, well, let me tell you something. I have something to tell you. And I was like, what do you, what do you got? Oh, I just need to tell you something. And like in the physical act, I was like, please, I just need to tell you something. She had nothing to tell me. It was just stalling, stalling, stalling. And I would laugh every time and have to hold in the laughter because she was trying every way to get out of this punishment that she was about to receive. Please let me tell you something, please, the whole time. And I laughed because in my mind, there was never a doubt how it was going to go. I was, I was not going to stop and say, all right, you're five years old. Let me hear what your reasoning is or why you should not receive this punishment. Never happened. I knew how it was going to go. God laughs because he knows how it's going to go. He knows how the whole thing's going to end. A couple verse later, verses later, God says this, I've installed my king 
on Zion, my holy mountain. What he's saying is, I have this king, and this is more of a prophecy when God says this, I have this king that cannot be defeated. And though the forces bringing chaos may be scary because they have thrown off moral restraint, because things around you might feel like they're falling apart, but you need to know I have a king and there's a king coming and the, the competition's not even going to be close. In the next verse, the king speaks back. And this king that God is going to put on Zion says this, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them with pieces of pottery. What he's saying is iron versus pottery, iron wins every time. There's not a scenario where it's like, oh, I thought the pottery was going to win. I thought it was getting close. Not going to happen. It would be like if I said, Mitch, come back out on stage. Let's you and me have a sing-off. Let's do that. Unless he like falls and knocks himself out on the way out, he's going to win. There's really no scenario if we both stand up here and sing and you say, I think Donnie got that one. I think he won that round. It <laughs> would not happen. There's no way. That's how God is looking at these kings that are throwing off moral restraint. And anybody who throws off moral restraint, there is no scenario in which they ultimately win because God wins every single time. Even when there's chaos, even when there's tragedy, he still wins. So this psalm is wrapped up with these words in verses 10, and 12, 10 through 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now, that's some harsh language he's trying to tell these kings. He's saying, look, God's going to win anyway. He's kind of laughing at your efforts here. There's no scenario where you come out on top. His wrath will take you out like that is what he's saying. But like no other God that's worshipped, no other false God that people look at for understanding of the world says, when you want refuge, come to me. You don't have to run from our God to get refuge. You run to him to get refuge. So when things are chaotic, when things aren't making sense, running from God gets you nowhere. But running to God brings you to refuge. And so David is saying, this king is coming and there's going to be a king in Israel that is going to win. There's going to be a king that looks at everybody who wants to throw off moral restraint and that king will say, I'm going to win. It's not even going to be close. It's not even a competition. I've got all this under control. And Israel waited and waited and waited. King after king after king would throw off moral restraint and disobey God. David himself did that when he was king. Next king, the same thing. Next king, the same thing. But then the prophets showed up and they started to speak of a different king, a different kind of king. 
that was coming. A king that would once for all settle the chaos that was in the world. He was called God's anointed. The Old Testament, originally written in Hebrew, anointed means Messiah. The New Testament in Greek means Christ. Remember back in verse 7 when I first put it up there where he says that you are my son. When he's talking to this king and the king is recounting uh, in this prophecy of God saying you are my son and here's what I'm going to do for you and you're going to win. Well, when Jesus shows up on the scene, if you read the first few books of the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially, they talk about Jesus' ministry in a way no, no other writing does. And when Jesus is baptized, when he shows the world that I, I am on a mission, that th- this is what you should do, this is how you show that you're starting a new life, and he's starting his ministry on earth, and so he's baptized, and the people standing around, and this is recorded in the Bible, in, the, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, hear these words. You are my son. This is my son. Listen to him. Now, for all the people standing around, when they heard, this is my son, or you are my son, they would have remembered the second psalm. They would have remembered, wait, wait a minute, could this be the king? Because all the people standing around would have been Jewish, and so they would have known psalm number two, and they would have remembered This could be that king that's going to bring peace to the chaos. And God says, listen to him. And so Jesus goes through his ministry, his arrest, the death, burial, and the resurrection. The church is established. All that's recorded in the New Testament book of Acts. Jesus' message began to spread because his disciples got serious about letting people know that Jesus was the one that would bring chaos in the middle of a storm. And all the religious leaders of the day looked at his disciples and said, stop doing that. Stop telling people about this man named Jesus. You must stop. And so they hatched a plan. How can we get these people to stop? And so two guys, Peter and John, they got arrested. They brought them before the religious leaders who were in control of that little government and they said, don't do that anymore. You must stop. Don't talk about Jesus. And they let him go. And Peter and John go back to the the church that was really small at the time. And they said a prayer in front of all the believers that day. And here's the prayer they prayed. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, band the rulers, band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. So what they end up doing is quoting Psalms 2. Because they knew Jesus was that king. That Jesus was that one that was going to rise up in the middle of all of the chaos in the nations, and he was going to rise up, and he was going to win. And they knew no matter how many of us they kill, no matter how many of us they say you must stop doing that, no matter how many of us they try to make scatter and torture us and try to defeat us, that the king is going to win. And in the middle of all of that that's going on, in the middle of all the chaos, we're going to be able to find refuge. So when there's chaos, there's no person on the earth that can bring peace. 
to that chaos. Because no matter who leads, they're an imperfect person. They're all messed up, just like we are. So if you're looking at a person to bring peace to the chaos, you will never be satisfied. You have to look to Jesus if you want peace in the middle of chaos, if you want to find refuge in the middle of the storm. And Peter and John found that peace because they knew Jesus was the king that they'd heard about growing up, and they knew he's the one that's going to win. When we talk about people accepting the message of Christ, what we're saying is take refuge in him. Get with the one that's going to win. Just last week, I I was here just sitting, in, sitting out there. I didn't speak, and I was sitting out there, and I watched person after person follow Christ in baptism, show the world that peace that they'd found. This year, almost 90 people have made that decision at our church to find peace in the middle of a chaotic world through knowing who Jesus is. If you read the rest of the way through the Bible, You just go ahead and read the end, the book of Revelation. It will scare you. There are things in the book of Revelation that that make no sense, that I don't understand, that I can try to understand it, but really, until it all plays out, I don't know. But one thing that's consistent that everybody who has any kind of reading comprehension can understand is that in the end, Jesus wins. In the end, chaos will be defeated. So the best thing to do is to get with him. So if you want to get with the winner, get with Jesus. If you want life to be peaceful in the middle of all the chaos that's going on, only through Jesus will that be found. I don't know how God's going to wind the the world down. I don't know how it's going to happen. I'm not sure all the sequence of events and how that happens. I just know which side is going to win, and that's the side I'm planning on being on. And that's the side I want to get you on. So let's get on the winning side first with Christ. Now, everybody's going to have opinions on who's the winning side when it comes to how we organize ourselves as humans. But if you're on the side of Christ first, then you're going to find peace in the middle of the chaos. Have you ever been in a chaotic situation and then kind of just ask God, come into this situation and help me? I was at a wedding one time in El Paso, Texas, and I thought, I'm going to walk to Mexico. Never done that. I've been to Mexico, but I've always flown there. I'm going to walk to Mexico. And so my oldest was 10 years old at the time, and we decided we're going to walk to Juarez. And of course, mama was like, are you sure? I was like, we'll be fine. Don't worry about it. We're just going to walk over, take pictures on the board, and we're going to walk right back. No problem. So she puts her American girl jacket on. It says American girl right on the back. Blonde hair, blue-eyed little girl. And here we go across the bridge. Not very crowded at all. And we're on this bridge. We're taking pictures where the border, if you've ever been there, you know, the bridge has got the border. It says Mexico and the United States. And, and we're taking pictures. And she's doing her American girl jacket, you know, so I can take the pictures. And then we get ready to go back. And I hadn't even thought about this. Well, you can't just turn around and walk back in. You have to go through customs and immigration which is a few blocks down in Juarez. And so I'm talking to the guard saying, man, is there any way you can just like make an exception and and let us go? And he's like, no, I can't. And I'm thinking, okay, I gotta, I, I 
I don't want to walk through that. I hear about kidnappings, and I had not planned to do that. And, you know, you get kidnapped there, nobody's coming for you. And so we walked. We, I was never threatened. I was scared, but I was never threatened. But I remember praying, God, get us, to this, get us on this two-block journey safely because it was a scary place. And I, we were stared at, but never, I mean, it was more stared at like, what are you thinking? You know, bringing that, bringing that little blonde haired blue eyed girl over here. What are you thinking? People were looking at me more like that than uh, I never felt threatened, but I was scared and it was chaotic. And for a few minutes, the, my insides were just all twisted up and I couldn't let my child know. And, and finally we get back across the border and I like breathe this breath of fresh air. The reality is, no matter where you are, and you're feeling chaos, there's a way out of the chaos, there's a way to find peace in the middle of it, and that's through living with Jesus. That's through claiming Him. That's through knowing who He is. And when you look out at our world today, uh, there's every reason to be afraid. Christianity is under attack. It's true. Brothers and sisters in Christ are being slaughtered in other parts of the world. And sometimes I look and think, does anybody even care about that? And they're being slaughtered because other people in, in authority, whether they've taken it or won it, thinking, are thinking, we're going to get rid of this thing called Christianity. Just like the people in Acts chapter 4. We're just going to, we don't want Jesus' people around. We don't want the moral restraint that comes with that. So we don't want it. Acts chapter 4 wasn't the first time. Today, the way things are in the world hasn't been the first time that people have said, we want these Jesus' people gone. Roman Emperor Diocletian in the 3rd and 4th century had extended the Roman Empire into Spain. And Diocletian, like many of the Roman leaders up until that time, very egotistical. They were God. They wanted people to worship them. And so he pushes into Spain, and they erect these two columns. And he has something printed on these two columns because he feels good that he's extended the Roman Empire into Spain, and one of, both columns have his name. And after his name, it has a quote from him. And the translation says, for having extended the Roman Empire from the east to the west and having finally extinguished the name Christian, which has brought the republic to ruin. That was on one column. The other column says, for having everywhere abolished the superstition of Jesus Christ and having extended finally the worship of God. He's saying, I got all the power. I'm going to extinguish all these people that call themselves Christians. I don't want the morality that comes with it because they have brought our republic to ruin. And that's funny because you probably never heard of Diocletian until today, but you've heard of Jesus. As hard as he tried, people that said, I will find peace in the middle of this chaos no matter what happens, they kept going. They kept letting other people know about Jesus. People that were in the middle of chaos saying, we've got something greater than anything you can do to us. We have a freedom that cannot be taken away from us no matter what anybody says because we are followers of Christ. When life is in chaos, remember, we have a king that says, ha, ha, you think, you think I'm going to lose? 
There may be tragedies, battles, death, and all the stuff we see going on, but in the end, there is no scenario where God loses. There's no scenario where Jesus takes a back seat. There's no scenario where he gives up and says, I've been beaten. And so the words from Jesus' mouth for all of us who are in the middle of chaos are this, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. No scenario where he loses. And so as you look out at our world and you see the chaos and an election maybe have you all twisted up inside wondering what's going to happen, and it looks like no matter what happens, it's still going to be chaos. Remember, Jesus can provide calm in the middle of chaos. So whatever side you're on, get on Jesus' side. Because that one will win every single time. Blessed are those who find refuge in him. You will never find refuge running from him and, his, and the morals he gives us, and the moral compass that he provides, you won't find refuge running from that. You will only find refuge running to the one who can provide peace in the middle of the storm. Let's pray. God, thank you for this 3,000-year-old challenge to let you provide the peace. And Father, no matter what, let us find confidence in knowing that you will win. God, help us always choose you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.